Section 38 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Surface Water of the Streets of London. The consideration of what Professor Way has called the street waters of the metropolis is one of as great moment as any of those I have previously treated in my details concerning street refuse, whether mac, mud, or dung. Indeed, water enters largely into the composition of the two former substances, while even the street dung is greatly affected by the rain. The feeders of the street, as regards the street surface water, are principally the rains. I will first consider the amount of surface water supplied by the rain descending upon the area of the metropolis, upon the roofs of the houses, and the pavement of the streets and roads. The depth of rain falling in London in the different months, according to the observations and calculations of the most eminent meteorologists, is as follows. Reader's note. The following table gives the depth of rain in inches, according to observation of the Royal Society and Howard, and according to calculation by Daniel, followed by quantity of rain falling in the different seasons and number of days on which rain falls. End of Reader's Note January Royal Society 1.56 inches of rain Howard 1.907 inches Daniel 1.483 inches Number of days on which rain falls 14.4 days February Royal Society 1.45 inches Howard 1.643 inches Daniel, 0 0.746 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 15.8. March, Royal Society, 1.36 inches. Howard, 1.542 inches. Daniel, 1.440 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 12.7. April, Royal Society, 1.55 inches. Howard, 1.719 inches. Daniel, 1.786 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 14.0. May, Royal Society, 1.67 inches. Howard, 2.036 inches. Daniel, 1.853 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 15.8. June, Royal Society, 1.98 inches. Howard, 1.964 inches. Daniel, 1.830 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 11.8. July, Royal Society, 2.44 inches. Howard, 2.592 inches. Daniel, 2.516 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 16.1. August, Royal Society, 2.37 inches. Howard, 2.134 inches. Daniel, 1.453 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 16.3. September. Royal Society, 2.97 inches. Howard, 1.644 inches. Daniel, 2.193 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 12.3. October. Royal Society, 2.46 inches. Howard, 2.872 inches. Daniel, 2.073 inches. Number of days on which rain falls, 16.2. November, Royal Society, 2.58 inches. 
Howard 2.637 inches, Daniel 2.400 inches, number of days on which rain falls 15.0. December, Royal Society 1.65 inches, Howard 2.489 inches, Daniel 2.426 inches, number of days on which rain falls 17.7. Quantity of rain falling in the different seasons, winter 5.868 inches, Spring, 4.813 inches. Summer, 6.682 inches. Autumn, 7.441 inches. Total depth of rain, according to the Royal Society observations, 24.04 inches. According to Howard's observation, 25.179 inches. According to Daniel's calculation, 22.199 inches. Total of number of days on which rain falls, 178.1. Total rain falling in the different seasons, 24.804 inches. The rainfall in London, according to a 10 years average of the Royal Society's observations, amounts to 23 inches. In 1848, it was as high as 28 inches, and in 1847, as low as 15 inches. The depth of rain annually falling near London is stated by Mr. Luke Howard to be on an average of 23 years, 1797 to 1819, as much as 25.179 inches. Mr. Daniel says that the average annual fall is 23 and a tenth inches. The mean of the observations made at Greenwich between the years 1838 and 1849 was 24.84 inches. The following extract from an account of the soft water springs of the Surrey Sands by the Honourable William Napier is interesting. The amount of rainfall, says the author, is taken from a register kept at the Royal Military College, Sandhurst, from the year 1818 to 1846, the average fall of the last 15 years during which time the register appears to have been correctly kept is 22.64 inches. I consider this to be a very low estimate, however, of the average rainfall over the whole district. The fall on the ranges of the Hindhead must considerably exceed this amount, for I find in White Selborne, a register for ten years at that place, the greatest fall being in 1782, 50.26 inches, the lowest in 1788, 22.50 inches, and the average of all, 37.58 inches. The elevation of the hindhead is about 800 feet above mean tide. With reference to the measurement of rainfall, it is difficult indeed to obtain more than a very approximate idea for a given district of not very great extent. The method of measurement is so uncertain as liable to be affected by currents of air and evaporation. It is well known that elevated regions attract by condensation more rain than lowlands, and yet a rain gauge placed on the ground will register a greater fall than one placed immediately, and even at a small height, above it. Mr. Arago has shown from 12 years' observations at Paris that the average depth of rain on the terrace of the observatory was 19.88 inches, while 30 yards lower it was 22.21 inches. Dr. Heberden has shown the rainfall on the top of Westminster Cathedral during a certain period to be only 12.09 inches, and at a lower level on the top of a house in the neighbourhood 
to be 22.608 inches. This fact has been observed all over the world, and I can only account for it as arising partly from the greater amount of condensation the nearer the Earth's surface, but probably also from currents of air depriving a rain gauge at a high elevation of its fair share. The results of the above observations as to the yearly quantity of rain falling in the metropolis may be summed up as follows. Royal Society average of 20 years, 24.04 inches of rain falling annually. Mr. Howard average of 23 years, 25.179 inches. Professor Daniel, 22.199 inches. Dr. Heberden, 22.608 inches. Mean, 23.506 inches of rain falling annually. The mean mean, or average of all the averages here given, is within a fraction the average of the Royal Society's observations for 10 years, and this is the quantity that I shall adopt in my calculations as to the gross volume of rain falling over the entire area of London. I have shown by a detail of the respective districts in the Registrar-General's Department that the metropolis contains 74,070 statute acres. Every square inch of this extent, as garden, arable or pasture ground, or as road or street, or waste place or house, or enclosed yard or lawn, of course receives its modicum of rain. Each acre comprises 6,272,640 square inches, and we thus find the whole metropolitan area to contain a number of square inches almost beyond the terms of popular arithmetic, and best expressible in figures. Area of metropolis in square inches. In figures, 464-614-444-800. Or 464,614,444,800. Now, multiplying these 464,614,444,800 square inches by 23, the number of inches of rain falling every year in London, we have the following result. Total quantity of rain falling yearly in the metropolis in figures. 10686132230400 or 10,686,132,230,400 cubic inches then as a fraction more than 277 and a quarter cubic inches of water represent a weight of 10 pounds and an admeasurement of a gallon we have the following further results Yearly rainfall in the metropolis, in figures 385-399-721-220, or 385,399,721,220 pounds weight, or in figures 172-053-447, or 172,053,447 tonnes. At measurement in gallons, in figures 385399721222 or 38,539,972,122 gallons. The total quantity of water mechanically supplied every day to the metropolis is said to be in round numbers 55 million gallons, 
the amount being made up in the following manner. Daily mechanical supply of water to Metropolis. Readers note, the following table gives sources of supply and average number of gallons per day. End readers note. New River, average number of gallons per day, 14,149,315. East London, 8,829,462. Chelsea, 3,940,730. West Middlesex, 3,334,054. Grand Junction, 3,532,013. Lambeth, 3,077,260. Southwark and Vauxhall, 6,313,716. Kent, 1,079,311. Hampstead, 427,468. Total from companies, 44,383,329. Artesian wells, 8 million. Land spring pumps, 3 million. Total daily, 55,383,329. Yearly mechanical supply of water, from companies, 16,200 million gallons. From artesian wells, 1,920 million gallons. From land spring pumps, 1,095 million gallons. Total yearly, 19,215 million gallons. Hence it would appear that the rain falling in London in the course of the year is rather more than double that of the entire quantity of water annually supplied to the metropolis by mechanical means, the rainwater being to the other as 2.005 to 1.000. Now, in order to ascertain what proportion of the entire volume of rain comes under the denomination of street surface water, we must first deduct from the gross quantity falling the amount said to be caught, and which, in contradistinction to that mechanically supplied to the houses of the metropolis, is termed catch. This is estimated at 1 million gallons per diem, or 365 million gallons yearly. But we must also subtract from the gross quantity of rainwater that which falls on the roofs as well as on the back premises and yards of houses and is carried off directly to the drains without appearing in the streets. This must be a considerable proportion of the whole since the streets themselves, allowing them to be 10 yards wide on an average, would seem to occupy only about one-tenth part of the entire metropolitan area, so that the rain falling directly upon the public thoroughfares will be but a tithe of the aggregate quantity. But the surface water of the streets is increased largely by tributary shoots from courts and drainless houses, and hence we may fairly assume the natural supply to be doubled by such means. At this rate, the volume of rainwater annually poured into and upon the metropolitan thoroughfares by natural means will be between five and six thousand millions of gallons, or one hundred times the quantity that is daily supplied to the houses of the metropolis by mechanical agency. Still, only a part of this quantity appears in the form of surface water, for a considerable portion of it is absorbed by the ground on which it falls, especially in dry weather serving either to lay the dust or to convert it into mud. Due regard, therefore, being had to all these considerations, 
we cannot, consistently with that caution which is necessary in all statistical inquiries, estimate the surface water of the London streets at more than 1,000 millions of gallons per annum, or 20 times the daily mechanical supply to the houses of the entire metropolis, and which it has been asserted is sufficient to exhaust a lake covering the area of St. James's Park, 30 inches in depth. The quantity of water annually poured upon the streets, in the process of what is termed watering, amounts, according to the returns of the Board of Health, to 275 million gallons per annum. But as this seldom or never assumes the form of street surface water, it need form no part of the present estimate. What proportion of the thousand million gallons of slop dirt produced annually in the London streets is carried off down the drains, and what proportion is ladled up by the scavengers, I have no means of ascertaining, but that vast quantities run away into the sewers and there form large deposits of mud, everything tends to prove. Mr. Lovick, on being asked how many loads of deposit have been removed in any one week in the Surrey and Kent district, what is the total quantity of deposit removed in any one week in the whole of the metropolitan district, replied, quote, It is difficult, if not impossible, to ascertain correctly the quantity removed, owing to the variety of forms of sewers and the ever-varying forms assumed by the deposit from the action of varying volumes of water, but I have had observations made on the rate of accumulation from which I have been enabled roughly to approximate it. In one week in the Surrey and Kent district, about 1,000 yards were removed. In one week in the whole of the metropolitan districts, including the Surrey and Kent district, between 4,000 and 5,000 yards were removed. But in portions of the districts, these operations were not in progress. End quote. It is not here stated of what the deposit consisted, but there is no doubt that mac from the streets formed a great portion of it. Neither is it stated what period of time had sufficed for the accumulation, but it is evident enough that such deposits in the course of a year must be very great. The street surface water has been analysed by Professor Way and found to yield different constituents according to the different pavements from which it has been discharged. The results are as follows. Examination of samples of water from street drainage taken from the gullies in the sewers during the reign of 6th of May, 1850. The waters were all more or less turbid, and some of them gave off very noxious odours, due principally to the escape of sulphurated hydrogen gas. Some of them were alkaline to test paper, but the majority were neutral. The following table exhibits the quantity of matter both in solution and in solid state, contained in an imperial gallon of each specimen. Street waters. Reader's note, the following table gives the number of bottle, the name of street, the quality of paving, the quality of traffic, and the residue in an imperial gallon, in soluble form, in insoluble form, and in both. End reader's note. Number of bottle, one. Name of street, Duke Street, Manchester Square. Quality of paving, Macadam. Quality of traffic, Middling. Soluble residue, 92.80 grains. Insoluble residue, 105.95 grains. Both, 198.75 grains. Number of bottle, 7. 
Foley Street, Upper Part. Quality of Paving, Macadam. Quality of Traffic, Little. Soluble Residue, 95.13 grains. Insoluble Residue, 116.30 grains. Both, 211.43 grains. Number of Bottle, 5, Gower Street. Quality of Paving, Granite. Quality of Traffic, Middling. Soluble Residue, 126.00 grains. Insoluble Residue, 168.30 grains. Both, 294.30 grains. Number of Bottle, 12, Norton Street. Quality of Paving, Granite. Quality of Traffic, Little. Soluble residue, 123.87 grains. Insoluble residue, 3.00 grains. Both, 126.87 grains. Number of bottle, 3, Hampstead Road, above the canal. Quality of paving, ballasted. Quality of traffic, great. Soluble residue, 96.00 grains. Insoluble residue, 84.00 grains. Both 180.00 grains. Number of bottle 4, Ferdinand Street. Quality of paving, ballasted. Quality of traffic, middling. Soluble residue, 44.00 grains. Insoluble residue, 48.30 grains. Both 92.30 grains. Number of bottle 2, Ferdinand Place. Quality of paving, ballasted. Quality of traffic, little. Soluble residue, 50.80 grains. Insoluble residue, 34.30 grains. Both, 85.10 grains. Number of bottle, 10, Oxford Street. Quality of paving, granite. Quality of traffic, great. Soluble residue, 276.23 grains. Insoluble residue, 537.10 grains, both 813.33 grains. Number of bottle 6, Oxford Street. Quality of paving, macadam. Quality of traffic, great. Soluble residue, 194.62 grains. Insoluble residue, 390.30 grains, both 584.92 grains. Number of bottle 11, Oxford Street. Quality of paving, wood. Quality of traffic, great. Soluble residue, 34.00 grains. Insoluble residue, 5.00 grains. Both, 39.00 grains. The influence of the quality of the paving on the composition of the drainage water, says Professor Way, is well seen in the specimens numbers 10, 6 and 11, all of them from Oxford Street, the traffic being described as great. The quantity of soluble salts is here found to be greatest from the granite matter from the macadamised road, and very inconsiderable from the wood pavement. The same relation between the granite and macadam pavement seems to hold good in the other instances. The granite for any quality of traffic affording more soluble salts to the water than the macadam. The ballasted pavement holds a position intermediate between the macadam and the wood, giving more soluble salts than the wood, but less than the macadam. The quantity of solid, insoluble, matter 
in the different samples of water, which is a measure of the mechanical waste of the different kinds of pavement, appears also to follow the same relation as that of the soluble salts, that is to say, granite greatest, next macadam, then ballasted, and lastly, wood pavement, which affords a quantity of solid deposit almost too small to deserve notice. The influence of the quality of traffic on the composition of the different specimens of drainage is well marked in nearly all cases, the greatest amount of matter, both insoluble and soluble, being found in the water obtained from the streets of great traffic. The following table shows the composition of the soluble salts of four specimens, two of them being from the granite and two from the macadam pavement. It appears from the table that the granite furnishes little or no magnesia to the water, whilst the quantity from the macadam is considerable. On the other hand, the quantity of potash is far greater in the water derived from the granite. The traffic, as was before seen, has a very great influence on the quantity of the soluble salts. It seems also to influence their composition, for we find no carbonates either in the water from the granite or that from the macadam where the traffic is little, whereas when it is great, carbonates of lime and potash are found in the water in large quantity, a circumstance which is no doubt attributable to the action of decaying organic matter on the mineral substances of the pavement. Analysis of the soluble matter in different specimens of street drainage water. Reader's note, the following table gives the number of grains in an imperial gallon from granite number 10 and macadam number 6 in great traffic, and from granite number 12 and macadam number 7 in little traffic. Water of combination and some soluble organic matter. Great traffic, granite number 10, 77.56 grains, macadam number 6, 29.07 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, 22.72 grains, macadam number 7, 13.73 grains. Silica. Great traffic. Granite number 10, 0 0.51 grains. Macadam number 6, 2.81 grains. Little traffic. No data given. Carbonic acid. Great traffic. Granite number 10, 15.84 grains. Macadam number 6, 12.23 grains. Little traffic. Granite number 12, none. Macadam number 7, none. Sulfuric acid, great traffic, granite number 10, 36.49 grains. Macadam number 6, 38.23 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, 46.48 grains. Macadam number 7, 34.08 grains. Lime, great traffic, granite number 10, 6.65 grains. Macadam number 6, 13.38 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, 25.90 grains. Macadam number 7, 16.10 grains. Magnesia, great traffic, granite number 10, none. Macadam number 6, 23.51 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, trace. Macadam number 7, 3.50 grains. Oxide of iron and alumina with a little phosphate of lime. Great traffic, granite number 10, 2.58 grains. Macadam number 6, 1.25 grains. Little traffic, no data given. 
Chloride of potassium, great traffic, granite number 10, none. Macadam number 6, 10.99 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, none. Macadam number 7, 2.79 grains. Chloride of sodium, great traffic, granite number 10, 53.84 grains. Macadam number 6, 44.88 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, 18.44 grains. Macadam number 7, 19.70 grains. Potash, great traffic, granite number 10, 82.76 grains. Macadam number 6, 18.27 grains. Little traffic, granite number 12, 8.75 grains. Macadam number 7, 5.23 grains. Soda, great traffic, no data given. Little traffic, granite number 12, 1.58 grains. Macadam number 7, no data given. Totals, great traffic, granite number 10, 276.23 grains in an imperial gallon. Macadam number 6, 1.94.62 grains in an imperial gallon. Little traffic, granite number 12, 1.23.87 grains in an imperial gallon. Macadam number 7, 95.13 grains in an imperial gallon. The insoluble matter in the waters consists of the comminuted material of the road itself with small fragments of straw and broken dung. The quantity of soluble salts, especially of salts of potash, in many of these samples of water is quite as great, and in some cases greater, than that found in the samples of sewer water that have been examined, and it is open to question and further inquiry whether the water obtained from the street drainage of a crowded city might not often be of nearly equal value as liquid manure with the sewer water with which it is at present allowed to mix. With regard to the ballasted pavement mentioned by Professor Way, I may observe that it cannot be considered a street pavement, unless exceptionally. It is formed principally of Thames ballast mixed with gravel and is used in the construction of what are usually private or pleasure walks, such as the gravel walks in the enclosures of some of the parks, and upon Primrose Hill, and so on. Of the Master Scavengers in Former Times Degraded as the occupation of the scavenger may be in public estimation, though I'd rather sweep the streets, may be a common remark expressive of the lowest deep of humiliation among those who never handled a besom in their lives, Yet the very existence of a large body who are public cleansers betokens civilization. Their occupation indeed was defined, or rather was established or confirmed, in the early periods of our history, when municipal regulations were a sort of charter of civic protection, of civic liberties, and of general progress. The noun scavenger is said by lexicographers to be derived from the German schaben, to shave or scrape applied to those who scrape and clear away the filth from public streets or other places. The more direct derivation, however, is from the Danish verb skæve, the Saxon equivalent of which is skæven, whence the English shave. Formerly the word was written skavager, and meant simply one who was engaged in removing this scrapage or rakage. The working men, it will be seen, were termed also rakers, from the surface of the streets. 
Hence it would appear that there is no authority for the verb to scavenge, which has lately come into use. The term from which the personal substantive is directly made is scavage, a word formed from the verb in the same manner as sewage and rubbage, now fashionably corrupted into rubbish, and meaning the refuse which is or should be scraped away from the roads. The Latin equivalent from the Danish verb skave is scabere. I believe that the first mention of a scavenger in our earlier classical literature is by Bishop Hall, one of the lights of the Reformation, in one of his satires, quote, to see the Pope's black knight, a cloaked frere, sweating in the channel like a scavenger. End quote. Many similar passages from the old poets and dramatists might be adduced, but I will content myself with one from the Martial Maid of Beaumont and Fletcher, as bearing immediately on the topic I have to discuss. Quote, Do I not know thee for the Algusher, whose dunghill all the parish scavengers could never rid? End quote. Johnson defines a scavenger to be, quote, a petty magistrate whose province is to keep the streets clean. End quote. And in earlier times, certainly, the scavenger was an officer to whom a certain authority was deputed, as to beadles and others. One or two of these officials were appointed, according to the municipal or by-laws of the City of London, not to each parish, but to each ward. Of course, in the good old days, nothing could be done unless under the sanction of an oath, and the scavengers were sworn accordingly on the gospel, the following being the form as given in the black letter of the laws relating to the city in the time of Henry VIII. The Oath of Scavengers or Scavengers of the Ward Ye shall swear that ye shall well and diligently oversee that the pavements in every ward be well and rightfully repaired, and not ponced to the noyance of the neighbours, and that the ways, streets, and lanes be kept clean from dung and other filth, for the honesty of the city, and that all the chimneys, redoses, and furnaces be made of stone for defence of fire, and if ye know any such ye shall show it to the alderman that he may make due redress therefore, and this ye shall not lean, so help you God. Note, Honst is explained by stripe to signify made too high, and the redosses to be reardos. A mason informed me that he believed these redosses were what were known in some old country houses as back flues, or flues connecting any fire grate in the out offices with the main chimney. The term lean, is the Teutonic lane and signifies let, lease, or literally loan. End note. To aid the scavengers in their execution of the duties of the office, the following, among others, were the injunctions of the civic law. They indicate the former state of the streets of London better than any description. A gung, or dung, firmer, appears to be a nightman, a dung carrier or bearer, the servant of the master or ward scavenger. Quote, no gung farmer shall spill any ordure in the street under pain of thirteen shillings and fourpence. No gung farmer shall carry any ordure till after nine of the clock in the night under pain of thirteen shillings and fourpence. No man shall cast any urine bowls or ordure bowls into the streets by day or night afore the hour of nine in the night and also he shall not cast it out, but bring it down and lay it in the canal, 
under pain of three shillings and fourpence, and if he do so cast it upon any person's head, the person to have a lawful recompense, if he have hurt thereby. No man shall bury any dung or gong within the liberties of this city, under pain of forty shillings. End quote. I will not dwell on the state of things which caused such enactments to be necessary, or on the barbarism of the law which ordered a lawful recompense to any person assailed in the manner intimated, only when he had hurt thereby. These laws were for the government of the city, where a body of scavengers was sometimes called a street ward. Until about the reign of Charles II, however, to legislate concerning such matters for the city was to legislate for the metropolis, as Southwark was then more or less under the city jurisdiction, and the houses of the nobility on the north bank of the Thames, the Strand, would hardly require the services of a public scavenger. As new parishes or districts became populous, and established outside the city boundaries, the authorities seem to have regulated the public scavengery after the fashion of the city, but the whole, in every respect of cleanliness, propriety, regularity, or celerity, was most grievously defective. Some time about the middle of the last century, the scavengers were considered and pronounced by the administrators or explainers of municipal law to be two officers chosen yearly in each parish in London and the suburbs by the constables, churchwardens, and other inhabitants, and their business was declared to be that they should hire persons called rakers with carts to clean the streets and carry away the dirt and filth thereof under a penalty of 40 shillings. The scavengers thus appointed we should now term surveyors. There is little reason to doubt that in the old times the duly appointed scavengers or scavengers laboured in their vocation themselves and employed such a number of additional hands as they accounted necessary but how or when the master scavenger ceased to be a labourer, and how or when the office became merely nominal, I can find no information. So little attention appears to have been paid to this really important matter that there are hardly any records concerning it. The law was satisfied to lay down provisions for street cleansing, but to enforce these provisions was left to chance, or to some idle, corrupt, or inefficient officer or body. Neither can I find any precise account of what was formerly done with the dirt swept and scraped from the streets, which seems always to have been left to the discretion of the scavenger to deal with as he pleased, and such is still the case in a great measure. Some of this dirt I find, however, promoted the goodly nutriment of the land about London, and some was delivered in waste places apart from habitations. These waste places seem to have been the nuclei of the present dust yards, and were sometimes presented, that is, they were reported by a jury of nuisances, or, under other titles, as places of obscene resort for lewd and disorderly persons, the lewd and disorderly persons consisting chiefly of the very poor who came to search among the rubbish for anything that might be valuable or saleable. For there were frequent rumours of treasure or plate being temporarily hidden in such places by thieves. Some outcast wretches, moreover, slept within the shelter of these scavengers' places, and occasionally a vigilant officer, even down to our own times or within these few years, apprehended such wretches, charged them with destitution, 
and had them punished accordingly. Much of the street refuse thus delivered, especially the dry rubbish, was thrown into the streets from houses under repair and so on. I now speak of the past century, and no use seems to have been made of any part of it unless any one requiring a load or two of rubbish chose to cart it away. I have given this sketch to show what master scavengers were in the olden times, and I now proceed to point out what is the present condition of the trade. End of section 38